Hello and welcome to the Podagogy Podcast, the podcast that aims to bridge the gap between teaching, coaching and all things pedagogy. Hi there and welcome back to the Podagogy Podcast. Today's pod is the second instalment of the Podagogy Psychology Series. Part two features Aaron Shaheed. Aaron is head psychologist at Peterborough United Girls Academy and the founder of Connect, psychology for wellness and performance. When I caught up with Aaron, we talked all things resilience, what it is, how we can identify it, and how educators can build it within our learners. I hope you enjoy. Aaron, welcome. Nice to have me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I think obviously this one's a bit of a different one. Um, As we were were saying kind of pre-recording, just um, you're my first guest on here that's maybe not strictly uh, a teacher or a coach by your your own definition. So if you just give... um, ourselves a little bit of background about yourself really um and and what you do um, and then we'll kind of get into the conversation i think yeah no problem um like i say i suppose sport and exercise psychology just is really how i define myself if i go back to my training uh, i did an undergrad degree in in sports psychology and sports coaching uh, at that point i probably didn't really know exactly what route I wanted to go down and um, the psychology interested me. So then I went on to study that further. I did a master's in, in applied psychology, uh, then a master's in sports psychology, and now I'm currently doing my professional doctorate in, in sport and exercise psychology. Um, in the meantime, I'm also teaching PE in primary schools at the moment, um, just on the side. And um, then I've also had part experience working with sort of when I was doing my studies, uh, high level athletes and the sports scholarship athletes at Liverpool John Moores University, which was a good experience at that level. Um, currently just got a um, post as sort of lead psychologist at uh, Peterborough United Girls Academy. So that'd be some good experience there. And yeah, just a variety working across sports, across domains, uh, different ages, everything, like I say, within the sports psychology realm and i think as i've been teaching over the past few years as well in the primary schools i can see the links that are that are there and the sort of transferable aspects that are there between delivering sort of psychology workshops to people and and then teaching and there's a lot of similarities Mm. yeah i mean so sports psychology is something that really interests me that's where my undergraduate degree was before going into teaching and we met obviously aaron when you were brought in as uh, to kind of lead up on our psychology side of things um, in one of the coaching centres. Um, we had a lot of conversations around resilience um, mm. with players. So that, that seems a good place to start today. So before we digress with anything, what is it? What, what is resilience for, to you as the psychologist? So it's a great question in many ways. And um, you could probably ask 10 people and get 10 different answers. It's one of them. And I think like anything with psychology, um, we can't sort of open the brain up, open the mind up and point to resilience and say, there it is, that's what it looks like, because it kind of looks different to everyone. I mean, strictly speaking, I suppose resilience is the ability to adapt to difficult life experiences or different life experiences, the ability to adapt, adapt to them, overcome them, um, sort of how we deal with challenge, I suppose. Um at the same time, I think there is there is more to it than that. There is more to it. There is, in terms of what the actual challenge is, um, obviously we can face different levels of challenge in our life, in our learning, whether we be playing sport or just in general life, the challenges we come across are obviously very varied. Um, 
just because someone may struggle through a certain challenge, does it mean they've got a lack of resilience? Mm. I'd argue probably not, um, because then it sort of comes in the aspect of perseverance. Um, you know, how much how much time do we give someone almost before we judge how resilient they are? I think is an interesting one. It's like anything with psychology in a way. I think we have to look at someone or something over a, a period of time before we say, ah, oh, they may have it, they may not. I mean. Let's take the example of when people are, are grieving, let's say they've gone through something where they have to grieve over. We say probably roughly it's going to take them around three months at least, depending on what it is, but around three months to sort of try and come to terms and go through all the processes. If we take that with something like resilience, uh, when given a certain challenge, whether we're looking at an athlete, um, they may be given a certain challenge, they may struggle through that challenge. At what point do we say, they really persevere and they've got a lot of resilience, resilience for this? Or at what point do we say, well, actually, do, do they have it in them to keep going on? And like I say, maybe about three months is, is around the sort of market we'd look to. But again, it depends on the, on the type of challenge. And I suppose about getting into too much detail at this point about things, I think it then links into things like how motivated are we to do what we want to do? How much do we actually want to do it? You know, um, like I say, the level of challenge, again, the environment we're in, all these things link into it, which I'm sure we'll come on to later. But um, to go back to your question, what is resilience? Um, I suppose <laughs> I've given an answer to that. I don't know. But yeah, essentially, I suppose adapted to difficult experiences, different experiences, how we overcome them, how we process them. I think that all links in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, it's quite an individualised thing. I feel like mm. my, my understanding of that would be that we might talk about it's a it's a positive response, but I don't think it necessarily is always what we might call a positive response. I think it's about responding to setbacks. Uh, like As you say, grieving in any capacity is normal and is necessary. So I guess going through that process isn't necessarily a sign of not having resilience as such. Mm. And as you said, it's not like it's not like a pass. You know, we can we can see that if a pass is successful. We can see that someone can pass a ball. It's a little bit harder to spot. But what should people be looking out for? What can we see in a, in an athlete or a learner or whoever it is that they're they're showing resilience that they can be resilient? What what things might be spot? I think, uh, like you say, athletes or learners. I think a level of of self awareness, awareness of what they're going through. Um, I think the ability, I always say when I'm working with an athlete or when I'm teaching in school, if someone can sit in front of me and explain what is going on in their mind or explain what they're going through, mm. I say that's brilliant because we're already halfway there because you're aware and you know what you're going through. I think let's take, let's take learning. Let's take, uh, I'm teaching a PE lesson or I'm teaching any sort of lesson and um, a particular child is struggling with what they're doing. If I go up to them and I ask, oh, how are you finding this? And they turn around and they could say, really easy, really good, and they're not very good at it. They could say, oh, I'm not very good at it. And oh, I just can't be bothered with it. I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to give up. Well, they could say, oh, I'm really struggling with it. What can I do to improve, for example, or something like that? And obviously, the third response there is the one you look to. I suppose some may call it a sort of growth mindset, maybe, where they're looking and they're faced with a problem. And it's like, right, I know I'm in a problem, but what can I do to get myself out of that problem? And I always say one of my sort of favorite lines I always heard when I was being taught early days of sports psychology was 
a problem is actually never the problem. It's how we perceive the problem that matters. You know, you have two people and the two people are faced, uh, let's take, let's take sort of like kids' IT, so six primary schools. I've got a six-year-old and I've asked them to do an overarm throw, by say, for example. And one of them struggled with it. And let's say, in fact, let's say two of them struggle with it. They're both struggling with it. One of them could give up and one of them could say, oh, I can't do it. And one of them could be like, right, I'm struggling, but that's not the problem. The problem is not that I'm struggling. The problem is, right, what am I going to do now? And so it's always that response. So I suppose resilience, the perseverance, the perception of the problem, um, the response to the problem, I think wanting to move forward, wanting to find solutions or solution focused people, you would argue are more resilient. And I think also then people who, going back to self-awareness, are sort of prepared to know there's going to be maybe ups and downs in a certain process, but be willing to always know it's going to get better in the future. Like, um, I know I gave the example of grieving in the past, but let's say, let's take maybe some older learners, so university, college level, they've got an assignment, it's quite tricky, it's like, say a dissertation, it's a long process in a dissertation, you know, you spend what, nine months writing a dissertation, there's probably going to be some days when you're banging your head against the wall thinking, where on earth do I go with this next? Mm. Now, that in itself doesn't make you not resilient, but if you do that, let's say, one week, then next week, then next week, then next week, that soon becomes a little bit of a problem, and maybe you look to that and be like, well, maybe they're not going to stick this through. Whereas I suppose someone who acknowledges that, but also says, you know what, this is fine, this is part of the process, it's going to get better. I think that's a sign of it. So that awareness that everything's temporary, in yeah. a sense, uh, both in the positive and the negative, that awareness mm. that everything's temporary, I think, sign of resilience. Um, I think another aspect would probably be how people communicate people they're surrounded with or who people surround themselves with i yeah. think in times of need or in times where we need to show resilience in whatever walk of life it's always a choice and it comes down to i suppose that coping mechanism is our coping mechanism if we're a bit older to i'm strong i'm going to go out and make myself a problem and try and ignore it have that response or am i gonna seek support in the people around me um my social circle surround myself with good people and and work the process with them so i think again maybe ways of coping how do we cope with it um is another way in which we can tell so yeah, yeah like i kind of said at the outset i think it depends on on the individual i think it's a very individualized thing but um yeah, yeah i think there's a few ways we can yeah we can try and work through it. Right. But yeah, I mean, there was a couple of things to pick up on there for me. Um, you, we've, we've mentioned uh, kind of grieving and the grieving process a couple of times, which I think is an interesting analogy because right at the beginning, you talked about acceptance of the problem. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's many models of kind of, of grieving and, and models of uh, change and behavior change, whatever. And a consistent thread for a lot of them is this acceptance. Hmm. Uh, we can't probably overcome a problem or respond to a problem until we've accepted that that's our reality. Hmm. So, um, I need to accept that I didn't get that job that I wanted. I need to accept that I wasn't in the team this week. I need to accept that I didn't get maybe as many minutes as I would have liked. Uh, I didn't get the grade on the assessment that I would have liked. So I think once we can accept that, that's mm -hmm. probably the platform. And then we talked about control as well. So I know there's a lot of work around that and, and motivation and kind of locus of control, you know, mm -hmm. in 
external. Can I control this problem? So maybe we shouldn't stress about problems we can't control or have influence over and invest time and energy in trying to be resilient into those things. And actually, let's look at the stuff that I can control and the mm-hmm. stuff that I can have an impact on. And that's what I'm going to respond positively to and be resilient towards. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, acceptance is the first step towards towards anything really in life. I think we're never going to, yeah, never going to be able to overcome something or work through something if we don't first accept that as our reality right, and the reality. And I think, yeah, that control, lots of people, I think, try and be resilient to things or think they are not resilient when actually they're in a situation where it's impossible to be resilient to something yeah. really because you can't control it. You know, 80% of things we worry about are out of our control, really, ultimately. Um, and that's where, I suppose, to bring to bring another aspect into it, I always say to ourselves, we've always got two parts of our brain and sort of, for those that are familiar with like the chimp paradox, we'll be able to, to recognise that. We've got the emotional bit, we've got the chimp who likes to focus on things outside of their control sometimes and reacts emotionally to things because that's how we feel, etc. And we've got the sort of the human being in ourselves saying logic, logic, logic. And often it's the logical side which focuses on the things we can control and accepts the reality and how to move forward from that. But it's when the emotion takes over. And it's the same when the emotion maybe sometimes takes over in things that we can control as well. And we can control when we're going to write our assessment. We can control how we take this information in. We can control how we're going to play this pass. But when our emotions get the better of us and we get frustrated and we get annoyed, that is also where maybe we're not as resilient to that problem that we're faced with because we're letting we're letting our chimp, we're letting our emotions mm-hmm. get in the way of it. Yeah. Um, so it's all a balance. I don't believe you can have, well, you can't have one without the other. You can't have logic without emotion. You can't have emotion without logic. I think we're human beings. So it comes as one. And sometimes that balance will be one way or the other. But at the end of the day, it's always a being aware of that. Yeah. What am I feeling? You know, when when I can't do this, some people I see it in young children all the time, and I think even young learners um, just go shut, just shut down, just shut yeah. down from from what they're feeling. They're frustrated, and they shut down. And don't get me wrong, we all have our moments. There's some days where I try and do a bit of work, and I yeah. just think this isn't happening. It's not happening for me today. And I think over the time, I've become aware of that. And I've said, right, I'm not going to get frustrated about it. I'm going to accept, again, that word, I'm going to accept it's not quite working for me today. I'm not quite able to write this sentence how I'd like to write it. And I'm going to come and look back at it. You know, I think that's that's a process. I think as you go through, if we've got talked to you about learning, I think that's a process I've learned through my learning, through my studying. I think maybe in my early days of university, if I was writing something and it wasn't quite going to plan, I wasn't quite, you know, sometimes when you write things, it just doesn't flow. And I was thinking, God, I'm getting really frustrated now in this moment. It needs to work. I'm trying everything and it doesn't work. In that moment, it could be argued I showed lack of resilience in that moment because I didn't recognise the reality. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of the reality. I didn't accept the reality. The reality was, for whatever reason, I wasn't quite, my, my, my brain wasn't quite working as it should have been. But that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. We can't go through life. You know, if you ask yourself the question, do you expect every day in your life to be good? No, I think sometimes we do with the way we act. Um, but really, in reality, it's impossible. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that was something I picked up on a, a separate podcast recently was um, if you have a if you have a bad day, I think the question is to ask yourself, did you expect every single day in your life to be a good one, to be a positive mm. one? Uh, if, you're, if you're a teacher, did, did you genuinely expect every single lesson to be an outstanding one? Mm. And if you, if you actually reflect and ask yourself that question, the answer is generally no. Mm. That it's just not going to happen. If you're, you know, if you're a business person, do you expect every business decision you made to be a good one? No. Exactly. Um, and I think uh, that just brought it back to me. It was, it was Gary Neville um, speaking about life, kind of post football yeah, as, yeah. as a businessman, and he's made he's made bad business decisions. He's made bad football decisions, but he didn't expect every single decision to be a good one or every single day to be a good one. Exactly, and I think the more we're aware of that fact, the more resilient we're going to be on a bad day because we know this is life. If we don't accept that fact, if we do expect everything to be perfect, or we do expect us to be able to do everything immediately, we're probably not going to have on paper too much resilience towards it because we're going to shut down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess it, it's, a, it's a balance, isn't it, between what you can and can't control, that you can't control everything, but we can control some things. I think if you could go too far the other way, that I can't control anything, then that, that's a very pessimistic outlook and a, probably a very negative output. So it's, it's that balance between what you can and can't control. Can't control all of it, but we can control some things. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And we can we can control a fair amount in our life. We, we control a lot in our life, actually. We can control a lot. You know, I we can control more than we think sometimes. Yeah. I like to say to people, you always have a choice. You know, I, I was, I told you I'd be on this podcast today. I could have not turned up. I had a choice to not do that. You know, I, I was, um, let's say, things like going to work. Well, yeah, you're employed by someone, but you haven't got to go to work, going to school. Um, even if I'm in prison, yes, a lot of my freedom has been taken away, but I've still got a choice on how I think about everything. My mind is still free. You know, uh, so I think we often have more control and more choice than we think. I think we sometimes put ourselves and we 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 face a lot of our problems because we focus a lot on, like you say, what we can't control, or I can't do this, I can't do that. What can you do? What can you control? What can you think about? How can you perceive it in a more positive manner? And it's actually more than we think. And we can live our life every single day controlling pretty much most of our day, really, if our mind is in that in that, that sense. You know, there's a lot of things we'll come across that on paper we can't control, but why think about them in a way? Yeah. So, so how do I then, Aaron? How do I, as the coach, or how do I, as the teacher, instill or or build or or whatever the phrase you want to use? How do I support my young people, my players, my students to be resilient and and to to be more resilient in the face of adversity? I think there's a few steps you can take. The first step: get to know them, find out about them, because Going back to what I said about motivation at the start, I think this all starts with an intrinsic motivation to want to achieve the outcome, whatever the outcome may be. And I listen a lot to um, Stephen Bartlett's podcast, Diary of CEO. He dropped out of school when he was 16. Um, does that mean lack of resilience? Or does that mean he just recognised, look, I wasn't actually intrinsically motivated to do, to study, to to get my O-levels, whatever it was back in. He wasn't, isn't that much older than me, actually, so maybe not. But, um, <laughs> he's a multimillionaire. I think he's well older than me. He's not at all. Um, but, yeah, I think he wasn't 
not resilient back then. He just decided I, I want to put my motivation elsewhere. So I think as a, as a teacher, as an educator, as a coach, get to know your students, your athletes, mm -hmm. what makes them tick, you know, what do they want to do? What is their, what do they want to aim for? Mm -hmm. um, once you know that, because ultimately, let's say I hate, I hate science at school, hate it. If my teacher had asked me about it, I would have said, look, I've got no real motivation to do well in science. You know, I can, I can try this. And then maybe they can take a different approach. I mean, and you can, you can go a different way about it. I think if you try and hammer home the same point as someone who's not taken on that point, it's never going to go in. So I think first get to know, get to know who you're working with, um, get to know their motivation, their situation, their goals, their aspirations, et cetera. And that'll give you a better idea on how to be with them. And that's just, that links to resilience, but that just links into general as far as I can see, a good teaching and good coaching. You know, you know how to communicate to people. Um, you know, class of 30 students, you're going to speak to them all quite differently, hopefully, because that's they're all different. Yeah. So I think that's the first step. Um, I think secondly, give them responsibility. Give them responsibility. And so often I see, and I, I watch lessons that sort of in the new role in the school, and I'm going to be going on, I'm sort of watching our other coaches and seeing what they're doing and trying to fill up them. And so often I, I see lessons whereby it's just you do this, you do that, and, it, and it's so prescriptive. And what chance are you giving um, children or young people to, to make mistakes and to, to solve problems? And, you know, I know that's a big thing we spoke about at the ACC was sort of this problem-solving perspective. Yeah. We want to develop our athletes to, to solve their own problems because we're not always going to be there. And, A, that transfers to life as well. Mm. You know, um, an example, I taught reception. I remember a week before we broke up some holidays, four-year-olds, and we're doing athletics, and there's hurdles and a little Velcro hurdles. And yeah. together. At the end of the lesson, I've demonstrated to them how to fold them away, and I've said, right, off you go. Go and fold them away and pack them away. And just something as simple as that gives them the ownership to, right, I've got to go. We've got to work together to do it. We've got to remember how to do it. We've then got to put it away neatly. And even from that very young age, that's building in their elements of responsibility. And I think ultimately, and you see it often, don't you? I don't think it's any coincidence. And it's something I picked up on when I was studying, really. A lot of success, I use the word successful loosely, but a lot of people we deem successful in life will often refer to having a, a difficult upbringing or yeah. often refer to a lot of challenges they've faced. Mm -hmm. And it's a theme I've always noticed, really. You know, it's, I very, very rarely listen to a successful uh, person talk and they say oh, my life's been my life's been easy it's been fantastic yeah. they've had to face challenges but what they've learned in facing them challenges is how to overcome them how to work through them and how to accept them and what steps to take to deal with them so i think if we don't ever give sometimes we want to be a bit too much in control i think as as educators or as leaders and i think we're, we're the good ones the good ones are getting more out of that habit but there's still plenty of people around who still like to be in control uh, of everything and i think it's given that control like we had trials last week at the um for the etc at posh and uh we had the under 14s group and the coach said to me he said i'm going to get them to come in i'm not going to set anything up i'm going to get them to, i'm going to tell them how to set up their pitch or where i want it i'm going to let them do it mm -hmm. i thought brilliant because even by that interaction as a psychologist i'm standing there thinking right who's taking the lead who's, who's taking the lead out of this group um, what are the others doing um, how are they communicating with each other all these aspects link into it so yeah fundamentally give your learners the opportunity to take responsibility and um yeah be yeah be, be responsible because 
and this is going to sound well, maybe I wouldn't say controversial at all, but there's a lot of these days a lot of rising mental health problems, definitely yeah. mental ill health, mental dysfunction. Common consensus is there's been a rise. Yeah, um, I think it's for a variety of reasons. I think it's more recognised these days, more diagnosable, but there's been a rise. Ultimately, 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 people are being diagnosed with worry, depression, anxiety. Don't get me wrong; some awful things happen to people's lives. Awful things, uh, and it's natural to slip into that state sometimes. But we can always take. You've got to take responsibility. Ultimately, you've got to take responsibility of your your state. You know, uh, even if you are in that state, take responsibility for it, seek help, whatever you want to do. You know, if you sense yourself getting to that state, again, be aware of it and take responsibility for it. So I always come back to the word responsibility because I think it links into a life in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I see a lot of just children I see in, in general within my day to day job yeah. probably misbehave or get themselves into a bit of bother, etc. because they're maybe not willing to take that responsibility and they kind of you know expect things to be there for them. I think the more you grow up as learners, I loved it. I remember once I walked in, I was on my master's at John Moore's. Um, so I've been studying for about, I was probably fifth year of study, maybe something like that. And I walked into a meeting with my supervisor and he taught us one lecture before and it seemed a nice book. And um, I've walked in and he sat there and he didn't say a word, not a hello, not nothing, not words. And at the time, I was like, oh, a bit, you know, <laughs> a, bit, a bit sort of unsettling in a sense. But at the same time, he's looking for me to take responsibility. He's looking for me to be like, right, this is why I'm here and not expect everything to be fed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think still as learners, learners like to be fed information. Don't get me wrong. It's needed at times, definitely yeah. needed at times. And a lot of discussions we had last year as well at the ACC, I remember were coaches getting that balance between giving information, but also giving the players the opportunity to discover their own solutions. And it is a balance and it has to be a bit of both because, you know, otherwise what's the point in having a coach or a teacher? Um, but yeah, uh, so the two answers I've given there, I suppose very long-winded okay. is give people the opportunity to take responsibility, yeah. uh, get to know them, get to know their motivations, etc. And I think you're halfway halfway there, really. Yeah, I mean, something something I do, and to be, to be honest, I think the students hate it, but hopefully they'll look back one day like you do and, and realise it was for their own good. But quite often I'll get asked a, a question in the classroom or sometimes on the pitch, and my first response is, well, what do you think? Hmm. Because it'd be very easy for me to go, oh, yeah, here, here's the answer. But there you go. Have they have they learned anything? Have they not not necessarily learned in terms of the information, but learning to problem solve, learning to think deeper, learning to think in different ways? If I consistently just hand over the information and hand over the answers, and it's the same in football, it's the same in every sport. If I consistently hand over the answers and say, "Here you go, here you go, here you go," what do they do when I'm not there? Hmm. How are they going to respond when I'm not there? And you almost become that that crutch, if you like, for for answers. Um, there's something out there that people can can look at is the the challenge support matrix. So at one axis is challenge and what what the other axis is support. And it's basically saying that if challenge is high, if challenge is high and super high, but support is low, then it's going to be an unrelenting environment, negative issue Mm. is there. If uh, challenge is low and support is really high, that's just a comfortable environment and nothing's really happening there. What we want to look for is not necessarily even high, but, you know, optimum, optimal challenge for that person. And then also appropriate support and high enough support that 
what uh, matches up with that to create what they call a facilitative environment. So the environment where learning is going to happen, problem solving is going to happen. So finding that balance between providing appropriate challenge, but also appropriate support. So support's not always super high, but that means that challenge isn't always super high as well. And just finding that balance and moving up and down that matrix, I think is something really important to think about for, for your learners in terms of um, creating resilience and creating problem solvers and things like that. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And I think it's also recognizing uh, as as the coach or the teacher what when when to provide the support when to step in you know when when, yeah. when i give them a challenge how long do i give them I don't, you know, yeah. all these things all these you know, little aspects are all linking but yeah you're right you're absolutely right there I remember one in one of my first lectures he kind of he put down sort of some loose topics he wanted us to cover mm-hmm. and he left the timetable for the semester blank yeah he was like right over to you what do you want to do and a lot of people just sat there like you know <laughs> um but it's good because it builds it's a long-term thing i think it's a long-term approach yeah. but some people are often a bit too short-sighted with, with these kind of things you have to look at long-term development of people ultimately mm-hmm. whatever we're working we're trying to develop people that's why i say as a, as a sports psychologist performance comes secondary to to people yeah, I mean, we're not going to develop resilience in a six-week block of work, are we? It's not, you know, it's not going to happen. It's a, it's a season-long thing. It's multiple season-long things. It's a lifetime thing, in fact. And I think there's also an element here of uh, maybe from from a parental point of view as well. It looks, I haven't got kids. I'm not going to tell people how to, to parent their children. And, I, and I've said that before when I've had conversations with parents around what they can do to support. I'm never going to tell anyone how to parent. But I think that's a pivotal role. So what is that conversation like in, in the car on the way home after the game? What are the questions mm-hmm. that you're asking? What are they focused on? Um, Ed, Eddie Hearn talks about how his, his dad never let him win at anything. Um, he talks about successful people, not necessarily a good win. He, he's very happy to admit he had a silver spoon upbringing. He had a very, very good upbringing. But his dad made sure that he went out and, and worked and had those working class principles that his dad had to be successful from, from not a lot. So although Eddie Hearn's pretty happy to accept he had a very privileged upbringing, he also respects that his, his dad taught him about how to be resilient. And he did cold calling sales. He wasn't just offered a, a job in his dad's firm. He had to go out and earn it. And he's doing obviously really, really well now. And he says he does the same. He doesn't let his kids win at everything. Now there's a balance there, obviously, you know, we don't want to destroy yeah. and destroy self-confidence. But equally, if everything's handed to you and it's win, 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 success, 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 what happens when you face that first real? Exactly, exactly. and I think like that links in the parent to, to the environment we're in. We're all a product of our environment. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, who do we surround? A, a, what is our environment? Where are we? Yeah. You know, sometimes we can, you know, the environment we're in shapes our behaviour. We can feel. When I'm on holiday, for example, I feel so much more relaxed. I might feel like doing different things when I'm here at home. Sometimes I can't work. I went out to work today at Costa because I can't mm-hmm. work. Like I get particularly distracted at home by anything in particular. I just work better at Costa and that's just environment. And I think, like you say, again, the people we surround ourselves with, the amount of children I've sat down with, and they're like, and the parents don't realize it. They've got in the car on the way back from a match or whatever, and the parents have gone, could have done this today, could have done this, mm-hmm. or or they've just even spoken about it. So I think it's for the parents recognising when do I speak about it? Often a bit of time is best. And secondly, how do I speak about it? And I don't realise the effect that that can have on someone that plays in their mind, you know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. 
I think just how how those questions and things are framed as well. You know, I think particularly even those questions have very good intentions. It might be, yeah, yeah. How, how did you get on today? Now the first answer is going to be either we won or we lost. Hmm. And that that question, how did you get on today? That that's perfectly innocent. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. But the way that's phrased and the way that's you know put across instantly provokes a outcome based answer. Yeah. If if we can tweak that slightly, and it might even be me me as the teacher, you know, um, how, how's that grade? You know, and instantly I'm going to get a oh I, I passed oh I got a distinction answer whatever. If I can focus more on uh, the feedback they received and how they're going to act on that and look at the yeah. process rather than the outcome, hopefully we'll have a, a more positive experience and a more positive outcome for that person. Yeah, as a society, we're, we're too focused in education. We're, we're too focused on outcome. We are too focused on outcome. You know, how do you do at school? Yeah. Oh, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Well, really, the more valuable experience is how was your experience? How was your learning experience? How was your social experience? You know, how was your experience of the environment? They're the valuable things, yeah. not whether you got a B in English or whatever it may be. You know, and I think just that's, um, I mean, that's a, a much broader problem, I think, with, with the society in terms of how everything is fueled by outcome. And if you listen to the top, top people, they go process, 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 process. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's what it's about. Uh, when really, and we will do it as human beings because we've been around it, I think, since we've been born and we've always been told since we've been at school, right, you need to achieve this, you need to achieve this, you need to achieve this. Mm-hmm. We then look to outcome, 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 you know. Um, when really, you know, if I if I sit down with a player tomorrow and they tell me I want to play for England, mm-hmm. A, you're probably going to end up disappointed because you've got naught point, naught, 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 whatever percent chance of doing it. So if that's your outcome and that's your goal, you know, I hate to tell you, I'd love that to be an outcome, but probably not going to happen logically. So, what realistic outcomes can we set in the short term that are ultimately going to allow us to work through life in a, in a happy way and in a way where we can respond to our problems? And yeah. Let's imagine that's my outcome to be to play for England, and I make it to sixteen, whatever it's seventeen, eighteen, at an academy, and then get dropped like ninety nine percent of people do. Yeah, um, is that a lack of resilience i've got because i'm really down or is that a lack of actual awareness of direction and goal and you know life as such so i think resilience is very much a sort of tip of the iceberg thing it's yeah. very much uh it's a very subjective matter i suppose um and it depends on a lot of factors and a lot of perceptions and sure. the, so one person could have really good resilience in one environment, but not so good resilience in another environment. I put in resilience in inverted commas, really, because, you know, how, how can that be almost that they're, they're really resilient there and not resilient there, you know? So I think it's it's very much a concept we all understand. We all know what it means. Yeah. But then when we actually dive into it, it depends on a multitude of factors, really. So Aaron, anyone who's uh, listened to the pod previously will know um, that we finished with a bit of a quick fire round. So keep you on your toes a little bit with a couple of questions. Um, for you, um, in, in your position, in your experience, what are the three fundamentals to successful teaching and coaching? Successful teaching and coaching, um, open-mindedness. Uh, I think everyone's different and we have to accept that um, in every aspect 
way they learn life, etc. Uh, I think you've got to be open-minded. I think you've got to be, I want to say adaptable. I think that links in a little bit, but adaptable, if any, so as you know, as uh, you teach, that goes down to right at the last minute being changed, maybe what lesson you're delivering, how much time you've got, what class you've got, et cetera, et cetera. Um, em empathic, empathetic, you've got to show empathy. I think, I think you've got to be, I'm going to use another one in terms of standards. You've got to set standards, but you've also got to be understanding and got to try and get people to, to that, that sense. You know, when I'm working with someone, I always use the phrase, um, no one cares what you know until they know that you care. Yeah. That, that for me is right at the heart of what, I'm, what I do, really. You know, I've got to show someone I care about them. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I suppose I'm teaching from, I'm looking at it from the psychologist aspect, but even when I'm teaching, I've got to show people I care about them. Yeah, um, because they don't know what I'm telling them. They don't care what I tell them otherwise. Because I could be telling them the best things in the world. If they think I don't care, I'm going to listen. Yeah. Also, at the end of the day, I could be telling someone some really basic things, but if they really have a good relationship with me and they really care what I say, they're going to hang on to every word I say. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think yeah, open-mindedness, adaptable, flexible. And you've got to show you care, you've got to show empathy, you've got to show understanding for people because ultimately we, we forget sometimes we are dealing with people and even if they don't hand something in on time or they just answer, ask a really obvious question, you know, people, yeah, they've got to take a certain amount of responsibility, but at the same time, we are, we are there to, to support people and understand people and that's how we get the best out of them ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to chuck a real curveball at you here because I've not asked anyone this one before, but I, I, because of your unique uh, position, I, I'd like to get your take on this. Um, what is maybe one common, I'll say mistake, because I can't think of a better word, or common mm. issue that you see and coaches, educators doing, and you're just thinking as the psychologist, that is destroying that person or that's going to have a, a negative impact. And obviously, you know, you, you, what have you seen or what do you see from your point of view? Um, it's funny, actually, I, I, I'll digress a little bit. And in, in, like I said, I referenced earlier in the new role I've started at, um, with the company I teach for, um, I've been going around and seeing other staff and I've seen lots of things that people slip into sometimes without probably aware they're doing it mm -hmm. um the biggest mistake i see teachers coaches making i think there's a couple of things that come to mind number one is related to feedback mm -hmm. always feedback on outcome that's what yeah. it is always feedback on outcome mostly especially in sport i think um even in even in a lesson, and we're all guilty of it sometimes. Some give an answer, and it's wrong. Mm. Oh, wrong answer. Someone gives an answer and it's right. Well done, brilliant. Really, that person who put their hand up and gave the wrong answer still did better than the other twenty eight people sat there because they put their hand up. They've given it. You know, for me, that's what I like seeing a learner. I want to see someone who's, you know. So you know, let's at least let's praise them for that. You know, I think you know the, the good teachers you'll see do it. You know, oh. You know, well done for putting your hand up. Well done for, you know, you'll see. And that's encouraging that sort of responsibility from the children. Um, I think sometimes I see teachers, coaches, and someone gets something wrong. It's like, oh, let's just brush over it. Let's, you know, let's kind of go to someone who knows the answer. Um, so I think that uh, judging on outcome, even in, in sport, 
judging on did they did they score or not you know um again the good coaches will recognize maybe a position someone's got themselves in to be able to give them the chance to score whereas the other ones oh how'd you miss that oh what are you doing you know think things like that um so that that's something that again i think we're all we're all kind of brought up naturally to because to, we've got this again obsession with outcome as as a society yeah. at school we've got this obsession with it so i think you know we're all sort of programmed to almost go to the outcome in our response to anything sometimes not the actual what they've done to, to work their way into position to achieve an outcome so i think that's one thing i think the second thing would relate to uh questions questioning um style of question um amount of questions there but the lack of questions i often see a coach ask their players is um i wouldn't say worrying i wouldn't go that far maybe but it's, it's a little bit like come on let, let's we want to let's go back to the whole topic of resilience we want to promote resilience however that looks in individuals we want to promote individuals to be able to take the responsibility to be able to adapt to experiences to be able to solve problems yeah these are all aspects of resilience we want to try and allow people to do that yeah if we just feed them information and tell them what to do like i was saying earlier they're not going to do it if we ask them questions or open questions like you said earlier you might put the question back to them and if you put the question back to them they suddenly got like oh what do i do so a lot of common things it's just again information 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 um and that's it you know follow my instructions and, and that's it and i think like we said earlier again it's a balance um it's sometimes with my younger learners yeah i probably will probably give a bit more information and then i would with older learners because that's what they can you know they can only they can only process a certain amount at a certain age and as you get older you can process more etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah two, two things two mistakes i would say i see well like you say yeah i can't think of another word about mistakes either two, yeah uh, yeah oversights maybe are um yeah this focus on outcome and um sort of a lack of lack of questions a lack of allowing for yeah learning to take place yeah i mean this is the thing that's why i was reluctant to use the word mistake i can't think of anything better because you'll struggle to find someone who has bad intentions with this sort yes of yeah exactly are always good and we're all guilty of it at times it's just being maybe a bit more aware of the outcome of our intentions it's, it's our automatic response it's why we're programmed as human beings we're, as human beings and that is something to do with society as a whole or our upbringing we've yeah. been programmed to think that outcome is what matters mm. and you know result is what matters and because that's what we're surrounded with we're surrounded with that in 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 the world and society since we've been young building up kids have sats in year two Mm -hmm. you know they're six years old seven years old and they're having sats they're being tested and they're given an outcome yeah you can't tell me that doesn't have a bit of a an effect just in terms of how we perceive stuff and everything you know i i think um yeah i think that ultimately people are more than that and learning is more than that I, the, the the second i became better at learning the second i said to myself you know what i'm actually going to try and enjoy the experience yeah for sure. and i'm not going to worry about what i get yeah i used to be a bit obsessed with grades again mm -hmm. a little bit like, i want to get this i want to get this if i look at the, the transition in myself let's say when i was doing my gcse's even the first year of uni first year of uni uh, first um degree i said to myself i 
need to get a first. I need to get a first. I need to come out with a first. That's all I care about, getting a first. I achieved it. I was happy. Mm. Um, came on to my master's, probably even as soon as the first master's, definitely the second master's. I said to myself, I don't really care what I get. You know, yeah. I'd probably like a merit or above, but I don't really, well, I would like a merit or above. It's still, you know, but at the same time, whether I get a distinction or not, it's not be all and end all. It's more, what have I learned yeah. to get to that point? You know, what, what have I learned? What's my experience like? What's my experience like? So um, that was a sort of growth that, that I went through and I probably became, therefore, going back to resilience, a bit more resilient to when I didn't get what I maybe wanted in an assessment exactly because actually that score isn't the be and end all. I'm not going to beat myself up over it because actually maybe I didn't get what I wanted for a lot of reasons and I can learn from that and I can look at why that was and I can look at how I can improve on that as opposed to, oh, I didn't get what I wanted and that's rubbish and I'm no good at anything. Again, that's the chimp taking over, emotional, emotional, emotional. I'm no good at anything. Oh, yeah, what, what do I do? And then kind of shut yourself down to any learning, any possibilities that can take place. Like we were talking about earlier, like initial response to not being able to do something, you know, shutting down. Like, well, oh. but, but then that links into to the focus and what focus on. I think if we look at things different perspective, different, you know, different lens. Don't I care to an extent? We all care about what we achieve to a degree. You know, don't get me wrong. We all care about outcome to a degree. I think it's good to care about outcome to a degree. You know, we can't have no regard for outcome because we'll never get anywhere in life yeah. with, with zero regard. But at the same time, we really need to. Life is learning. I, I saw a clip the other day, you may have seen it as well. I think it was doing the rounds really on social media about um, your 20s just being a sort of experiment, really, yeah. and your 20s being a time to experiment. And again, society these days, I think there's so much pressure on people. I feel sorry for people who are sort of doing their GCSEs now, et cetera, because there's such a pressure, I think, with the sort of influence of culture, et cetera, to be successful, whatever that, that looks like. At the minute, that looks like having money, yeah. going on hol nice holidays, you know, looking good on Instagram, whatever it may be. There's so much pressure on young people to do that quickly and at such a young age. And I was the same. When I first started studying on going down the sports psychology route i was like i want to do masters masters doctorate get through it as quickly as possible get it qualified have the title blah 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 i want it now like, i want it all right now a lot more i'm a lot more laid back about it like i'm a lot more yes it will get done but it's a process and it will come and i just think going back to right what i said at the start resilience is that belief that no matter what you go through things will get better and yeah. you will get where you want to get as long as they're aligned with who you are as a person and what your personal motivations and goals are mm -hmm. you will get there you know as long as you're on the right path i think if you lose that belief that you'll get there that's when you lose resilience that's yeah. when you might slip into bad habits that's when you might sort of start spiraling a little bit and it's up to you to yeah. pick yourself up from it i was thinking um earlier or yesterday um I knew I was coming on today about, right, let's think about my life. Let's think about a time where I've maybe not shown resilience. I was thinking to myself, well, probably there was a time probably two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, um, where I was in just a, a sort of bad mental state. I really, I, I look back at it, I think I'd just finished um, one of my degrees and I kind of didn't know what was next. I knew I was going to take a year out. I was kind of looking for a job to get me through that. I was kind of in a relationship that broke down and I just used to say, I kind of just feel a bit nothing. I have no purpose, no purpose in my life and um, couldn't find that purpose. 
and I had to have some, I had some counselling for it. Now, looking back, some may perceive the habits I was getting into as a lack of resilience at that time because I was going out drinking every weekend. I was doing a lot of things that probably weren't helping me. Um, but ultimately, I got to a point where I did recognise that and I sought the help. I don't think seeking help is like a resilience. I think it's recognising that yeah, you know sure. what I'm going to do something yeah. about. Do yeah. something about. I, I think that actually shows shows a lot of resilience in a way to show that I'm willing to accept the situation I'm in and I'm willing to seek help for it. You know, it's not a there's still a slight stigma I think around it being sort of weakness. I don't think it's weakness. I think it's actually showing a lot of strength to recognise that's the situation you're in. And I probably got to that point and I recognised that situation and then you work through it. I always believe that things would get better. So we all go through ups and downs in life. Everyone goes through ups and downs in life. And yeah, definitely. I think as long as we're aware of that, as long as we're aware that that is life, life mm. is life is a series of ups and downs, we will always show the resilience to get through it because that's that's what we're programmed to, yeah. to you know, to believe. Yeah, no, definitely, man, definitely. I mean, I did my my B licence and my PGCE um, at the same time. So I was doing, mm. I was doing both one alongside the other. And my attitude in both was what do I need to do to pass what do I need mm. to do to get this? Um, and it wasn't until I got over that and I thought, and I just thought about enjoying the journey, about learning, about improving and not comparing myself to others that I really started to enjoy it and really started yeah. to develop and really started to learn. I said, I only feel qualified to speak on this because it was my own mistake and my own experience. Literally this morning, um, somebody put out a tweet around it. Starting my B license soon. Any any advice? Yeah, I saw that. I saw it. Well, yeah. um, people got either NQTs, ECTs, or people on PGCEs who are like, you know, starting my training next week. Any advice? And every time my go to thing is focus on yourself, hmm. enjoy the journey, and don't worry about the outcome. Because until I recognised that myself, I, I wasn't maximising, you know, that, that that time at all. So that that's hmm. always my bit of advice for those sort of guys. But yeah. No, that's that's fascinating mate that's really cool yeah no it's, it's funny just quickly on on that um i've uh i've recently sort of started to push my own sort of business and sports psychology and everything i've put out a few videos and funnily enough the couple of the, the videos i've put out so far one was focused on sort of purpose just doing something every day yeah makes you happy it gives you fulfillment that that you know it's not so much about yeah, we can blow things up and oh, i need to do this need to do that just do do something in the in a day, a few things in a day, have a few things that fulfill you and do them. And you'll live a proper happy life. And the second one was around comparing to others, you yeah. know. And I suppose the last point from the last points I'll make is to speak about comparing yourself to others. We're all the same. Yeah. All human beings are the same. We've all got strengths, weaknesses, ambitions, goals, motivations, likes, dislikes, fears, insecurities. Every single human being's got them. We all have specifically different ones, but everyone's got that. Anyone, someone deemed successful has got so many fears and insecurities you won't believe, mm. you know? Um, and I think the second we realise that, and the second we realise that we're all going through the same thing, is the second we actually stop worrying about what others are doing and comparing ourselves to others because fundamentally we're all the same. Yeah. It's how we perceive that in a way. Yeah, love that, love that. Um, so to kind of start towards wrapping up, um, you're on a journey now. What would you tell Aaron, who was just starting out on that journey? That's a good question. Um, a bit of golden advice for him. What would you tell him? 
Um, a bit of advice for myself. Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. relax. Just relax. I used to, I, honestly, I used to stress. Um, I've, always been, I've always been quite good at dealing with that, I suppose. But I used to... I used to overthink a bit much. I used to worry too much. I used to worry about things I couldn't control. I used yeah. to worry about getting somewhere. I used yeah. to have, like, I want to get here in, you know, how many years that may be. Really, life is, I've always understood the meaning of living in the present, something that's advocated. I've never truly been able to achieve it, probably until more recently, I would say. More recently, I've definitely become, the, you know, well, look, all we've ultimately got is the present. I could die tomorrow. I hope I don't, but I could do. But if I do, I want to die tomorrow knowing that I've done everything with my days that I, yeah. I enjoy. So I think just relax, live in the present. Ultimately, if you want to get somewhere and you have that motivation to get somewhere, you will get there. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you know, if, you, if you do want it and you're motivated to do it, and you put the action in, you will get there. Yeah. And so I think... Um, yeah, I, I tell myself to to, to to not be in a rush, to calm down, to relax, yeah, to enjoy life a little bit more. And um, yeah, yeah that, that's probably what I would tell myself, I think. Awesome, awesome. Finally, Aaron, is there anyone uh, that you would like to hear from on the podcast or anyone that I should speak to? Anyone you should speak to on the podcast? That's a great question. You put me on the spot now. Um, and it, this can be as realistic or unrealistic. I was going to say, how realistic do you want it? We uh, can go either way. We can go either way. Go either way. Uh, who? Oh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking big scale already. I'm thinking most. Most people have gone realistic. So you, 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 you do it different. You go. You I'll go, go differently. I'm intrigued in, in into these, these people's mindsets. Um, Now, 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 I'm really thinking. Um, I referenced him before. I think Stephen Bartlett's fascinating. Get him yeah. on, do, do you know, reverse roles. Get him, get him yeah, on, on a podcast. Yeah. I think he's fascinating. His journey's fascinating. My mum met him the other week. My mum met him a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, he was at this festival. She chatted to him for a bit, apparently. Put me in great. touch. But yeah, I'll have a word with her. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I might be the big break this pod needs. <laughs> <laughs> you get your Twitter followers up. I checked yesterday. You're uh, you badly. Um, let me think of someone. Sorry, is it bad? I can't think of anyone realistic. Let me think of someone in my my general circle who to speak to. I'll tell you what, I'll do you a deal, Aaron, if you want. When this pod goes out, you can reply. You can think about it, and you can reply to the tweet with your answer. That's good. Because like this has been, this has genuinely been amazing, mate. Fascinating. I've, I've loved it. Get my mum on. That's that. Get my mum on. I'll have okay. a word with her. She's she's quite fascinating. I've learned lots of things from her. Get, get her on. Right, I'll do it. She's a counsellor. She's a counsellor as well. So it's, okay. you know, yeah, we've got to make that happen. That's going to happen. <laughs> now, genuinely, Aaron, this has been legendary. Man. I've, I've fascinating. Enjoyed it. Loved it. I'm really excited to put this on. Thank, Thank you for having you. me. I've enjoyed it myself. Definitely, it's been good to talk. Many thanks for supporting another episode of Podagogy, the teaching and coaching podcast. I hope you enjoyed this mini-series as much as I did, and hopefully there's much, much more to come. Thanks again, and see you next time.